Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Are we ready to get into the Word? Someone say yes. So it is a new year, which means one thing, and that is a new theme here at the Father's House. If this is your home church, you know that every single year comes complete with a new theme, and that is not just some idea we conjure up or a slogan or a catchphrase. It really is the result of some intentional time of prayer leading up to a new year as we seek the heart of God and we ask him, what are you calling our community to focus our attention and our series and our thoughts around as we step into this new year. Uh, Last year, the theme was every promise because we believed that God was calling us into a season of fulfilled promises and answered prayers. The year before that, the theme was by faith out of Hebrews chapter 11 because we believed that God was calling us to elevate our expectations and to pray bigger prayers than we'd ever prayed before. Uh, Coming out of COVID, it was dare to hope because we had faced a couple of years of hopelessness and we felt like the Holy Spirit was asking us to look at our city with the eyes of Jeremiah where he says, and Lamentations chapter three, despite the fact that I see all of this stuff around me, a decimated city, I still dare to hope when I remember that the faithful love of the Lord never ceases, his mercy never fails, great is his faithfulness, his mercies are new every single morning. And we've had some great themes over the years and many of you have the church merch to memorialize all of it. But I gotta be honest, I have never been more excited about a theme, and I don't think our team has ever been more excited about a theme than the one we're stepping into this year because I wholeheartedly believe that if we we own this, if we personalize it, if we begin to put into practice what we're going to discuss in the coming weeks, that this particular theme has the power to completely transform not just your year, but your life from this point forward. In fact, I'll go on record and I'll make a grandiose statement. I actually believe that if we will personalize this theme as a community this year, that it has the capacity to not just change our lives, but to change the very world that we live in right now. And I know that those are like lofty words, kind of a you know, pinky in the brain statement like, what are we gonna do today, Brian? Same thing we do every day, pinky, try to take over the world. I understand that that's how that phrase can sound, but <laughs> that was a pretty good impression. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, but... Uh, I honestly believe that when Jesus uttered the words that we're going to consider, these two words along the hillsides of Galilee, that's precisely what he had in mind. It was not this casual consideration for his followers. It was a commissioning to be conduits of change in the broken world that they found themselves in. And I honestly believe that we can change our lives and change our world if we live by these two words, all right? Some of you know them. We've already put them out there on all of our social platforms, but for the rest of us who maybe haven't seen it yet, let's do a little drum roll on the thighs. Our theme this year is seek first. Come on, say it with me. Seek first. Turn to the person next to you, slap him in the shoulder and tell him, seek first. <laughs> Don't hit him too hard. Those, uh, those two words, they come from a collection of teachings found uh, over the span of three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, teachings of Jesus that we are going to be studying very slowly, very intentionally over the next few months. And yes, I said months. This is going to be a very long series. We want to take our time with these 
words. Uh, but before I get to the key text where Jesus mentions these words in our theme scripture for the year, um, I feel the need to offer a bit of a disclaimer, a, a Surgeon General's warning, if you will, about the content we're going to discuss for the coming weeks. There is a, a strong possibility as we get into these words of Jesus uh, that you will have ample opportunity to be confronted, convicted, to, to, to come face to face with maybe some of the broken patterns of your life. There might even be moments where you get so offended where you say, I'm not coming back next week. And I'm warning you about that up front because these words of Jesus they are and have always been some of the most confrontational statements ever issued to humanity. They were not the kind of message that you get into the car afterwards and you feel like you got a spiritual massage and you're like, man, I just feel really great about myself, you know. He wasn't reading from the message translation. He wasn't channeling his inner Joel Osteen, you know. He's like, this is my Bible, I am who it says I am. I'll do what it says I can do. It wasn't that kind of message. It was a gut punch in the spirit. It flipped everything that everybody knew upside down on its head. No subject was off limits as Jesus with surgical precision began to address some of the deepest issues of the human heart. And he talked about things that we don't like talking about in church. He talked about judgment and hatred, the way you treat your enemies. He talked about divorce and whether you can qualify to get remarried. He talked about adultery. He talked about lust. He said things like, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And then this little inconvenient nugget, be holy just as your father in heaven is holy. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that. Like, these were confrontational statements. They, they, they don't align with the rhetoric of our culture or the culture of the day that he was speaking to, and yet they were his words. And I would love to tell you that we have the option to treat the Bible as a buffet and just take the stuff we like and read that and teach on that and throw the rest of it away. But unfortunately, we don't have that opportunity. If these are the words of Jesus, we gotta talk about them. And we must embrace the subsequent discomfort that they may cause because as the trainers always tell you at the beginning of the year, no pain, no gain. Or maybe better said in light of the series, no pain, no change. And I don't know about you, but when we wrap up 2024, the last thing I wanna be is the same person I am today. I don't want, not that I'm that bad, but you know what I mean? like. I wanna be transformed into the image of Christ more and more by the power of the word and the moving of the Holy Spirit in my life. I wanna be more like Jesus at the end of this year than I am at the beginning of this year. And that means I gotta face myself in the mirror and maybe deal with the discomfort of some of the words that Jesus teaches. So there's your disclaimer as we get into the content. Uh, with that, let's go to our key scripture for the year. It is found in Matthew 6, 33. I advise everyone, commit this one to memory. If you gotta get it tattooed on you, feel free. Get it tattooed on you, whatever you gotta do. But these are the words of Jesus. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Let's read it all together since it's our key verse for the year, shall we? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Come on, someone say amen to that promise right there. 
Now, based on that, that, that text and that scripture, I'm gonna offer a title in this inaugural sermon that is framed in sort of a confrontational personal question. In this first sermon of the year, I wanna ask this question of us. What do I do first? What do I do first? Let's, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, Lord, thank you for your voice in our lives. Thank you that uh, it says in the book of Isaiah uh, that when we don't know what to do or what direction to go, that there is a voice that speaks to us even in the wildernesses and says, this is the way you should go, walk in it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding the steps of this church and directing us in your ways. And as we step into this new year and this content, uh, Father, I ask for the willingness to, to face ourselves, to be honest about where we're at, and God, a heart to be open to receive what you might want to say. Scripture calls the word of God a sword that cuts between bone and marrow. It gets right to the heart of where we're living. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to subject ourselves to that sword in the weeks to come so that you could cut out the things that don't belong and, and put in us the things of Christ, the things of the Spirit, so that we could grow in you this year and be transformed by the power of your word. We thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. So I think the place I wanna start with all of this is with the definition of terms. I think it's important we understand what Jesus is saying here because if we don't know what he means when he tells us to seek or we don't know how to define the thing that he's asking us to seek, it can be challenging to do the thing he's asking us to do. So I wanna start with the first word in this scripture, the word seek. In the Greek, this word is zateo, and it means to discover by thinking, meditating, reasoning, and inquiring. So to discover by inquiry, to discover by, by meditation. In other words, to seek is to maintain this intentionally inquisitive mindset where we are constantly coming to a source greater than ourselves to inform our thinking, our living, our decisions. It's to live with this awareness of what, this awareness of what Isaiah says in the 55th chapter of his book that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. He goes on to say, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. It is this resolution in our broken human state to say, I know that I cannot lead my own life, and thus I must inquire of a source greater than myself in every situation to ensure that I go the right direction, I make the right decision, and I don't do what feels natural to my flesh, but I operate in the Spirit. That's what it means to see. And this is not a one-time event. This is an ongoing process. In fact, by nature of the verb tense that Jesus uses in this statement, he, he tells us that it is a perpetual act. Uh, in the Greek, it is the pre present active imperative tense of the verb, which means that it is irrespective of time. In other words, it's not a one-time event. It's something we're supposed to do all of our lives. It is an ongoing verb. We, we seek today, we seek tomorrow, we seek next week, we seek in front of every single decision. It is an ongoing process. And there are two things that Jesus tells us in this text we are to approach with the, such consistent inquiry. Number one, he says we're to seek the kingdom of God. And number two, he says we are to seek the righteousness of God. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, for if we seek those two things, 
He tells us there's a promise on the other side, and that promise is something all of us want. We will receive everything we need in this life. Now, because we're going to go slow through this content, I don't want to unpack righteousness today. We're going to look at that next week in, in the sermon. And today, I'd like to focus all of our attention on this first thing Jesus tells us we are to seek, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, if you were to ask the average Christian to summarize the totality of Jesus' teachings in a word or a phrase, I would imagine that people would give a variety of different answers. Uh, some might say that the teachings of Jesus are all about love, uh, love for him and love for people. After all, he did say the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is equally as important to love your neighbor as yourself. So, so love seems to be a pretty logical answer for the teachings of Christ. However, some might, might say instead, well, yes, it was about love, but ultimately his teachings were all about grace, evidenced even by the fact that he went to a cross so that we could be forgiven. We've been saved by grace through faith. So his teachings were all about grace. But then you might have the religious zealot on the side who's like, well, don't forget about truth. He also said truth, you know, his grace and truth. You know, we've got to tell the truth. I'm like, okay. And then maybe there are some who would say, well, yes, but really his teachings were all about faith or, or, or mercy or morality. If you ask a preacher, particularly the TV type, they might say the teachings of Jesus were all about money. He talked about money more than anything else, and we should probably talk about money more in the church. And on and on the answers might go. And the truth is, Jesus did talk about all of those things. He talked a lot about love, a lot about truth, a lot about grace. He talked a lot about morality, specifically the morality of the hypocritical Pharisees who were living one way behind the scenes and then projecting an image of righteousness to the rest of the world. And the preachers are not wrong. Jesus did talk quite a bit about money, more so than many of those things combined. In fact, even in the series that we're doing uh, over the next couple of months, we'll look at some of his words about money and possessions where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And you cannot serve God and money at the same time. But, but it would be inaccurate to lump all of his teachings into any single one of those words because while those themes are prominent, they are not predominant. They... they they play a supporting role at best, but the thing that Jesus talked about more than any other thing was the kingdom, the kingdom of God. In fact, that phrase, it appears 126 times in the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For comparison, the word love shows up 13 times in the gospels, faith 24, grace 11, but the kingdom 126 times. By sheer metrics, it is clearly the main theme of his messages. And yet, despite the consistency of that phrase, it can feel like a bit of an elusive term, kind of a nebulous thought. While few would have pegged it as the main message of Jesus, I think even fewer could, could offer a clear and concise definition for the kingdom, which is a problem if it is the kingdom that we are supposed to be seeking first more than any other thing. So in this first week, we kind of need to define the kingdom as well, lest we find ourselves seeking after something other than the thing that Jesus is telling us to seek after. So let me offer another couple of definitions for the kingdom. I think the kingdom can be defined in two similar 
but subtly different ways. First, I think the kingdom can be defined as the person of Jesus. Uh, we've said this before in a series we actually called The Kingdom uh, a couple of years ago, uh, but I will uh, bring it to the table again for the new kids on the block. Um, anytime you see the phrase in scripture, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of God has come, you can substitute that with the words Jesus is like, or Jesus has come, or Jesus is near. They are synonymous in scripture many times. And Jesus speaks to this a number of times, but in one text, in Luke chapter 17, well, excuse me, chapter 17, he says this. Uh, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, hey, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Translation, you're looking at him. He's right here in your face. I'm the kingdom. I'm the God-man that came down from heaven and is now walking among humanity. The kingdom is not some nebulous place out there. It is among you right now. So the kingdom is the person of Jesus. But also, there are a few occasions where when you see this phrase, it isn't necessarily speaking just to the person of Jesus, but it is speaking to the rule of Jesus or the reign of Jesus, his authority. Not just in eternity, although rest assured, there will be a day where the clouds split, Jesus comes riding in on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood and fire in his eyes and something tatted on his leg and a sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God, and he will once and for all defeat the enemy, cast him off to eternal darkness, sit on the throne here on the earth and reign forever and ever as the lamb and the king who was slain for the sins of his people. So there will be that day, rest assured, it's coming. But until that day, anywhere Jesus is enthroned as king, anywhere he, he is exalted among the saints, his rule and his authority is established. Let me give you an example. Um, here at the Father's house, we have one authority, one ruler, one king, and his name is Jesus. Hopefully that's obvious. We are not trying to build a brand. We're not trying to make our name famous in the earth. We're not after Instagram followers or leveraging our influence in San Francisco and beyond. We're not trying to have a global ministry. We're about one thing, lifting up the name of Jesus in the Sunset District of San Francisco and exalting him in this place. That's all we're about. And anytime we gather, as we did this morning, and we lift up the name of Jesus, we, we enthrone the king in this room. Psalm 22, verse three, it says, you, O Lord, are holy, enthroned on the praises of your people. So when we sing, as we sang just a moment ago, your name is power, your name is life, break every stronghold. We sing the name of Jesus on mountaintops and into the darkness. Anytime we do that, it is like we lay out a throne in the middle of this room and we invite the king himself to sit on his throne and where he sits, his authority is established and his rulership takes place. Suddenly, as the authority of God begins to rest on a room, things like sickness must go, and depression must go, and anxiety must go, addiction must go, brokenness is repaired, clarity comes to our minds. Why? Because the name that is above every other name, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, is being exalted in his house, and where his authority sits, 
no other opposition can remain. That's why I'm so passionate about people coming to church on time. That's why I, I, I throw jabs out there from time to time from the stage and you people look down while I say, where were you? Well, the rest of us are worse. It's because we're not just singing songs. We're not just having Christian karaoke so we can warm ourselves up for the sermon. No, we are creating a space for the king to come and dwell among the saints and take authority over all the things the enemy is doing in our lives. Silent appeal. Come to church on time next week. All right. So... That is how we define the kingdom, the, the person of Jesus and the rule, the authority of Jesus. Now, having defined what it means to seek and what the kingdom is, we can kind of mash those two things together and get a bit more clarity about what Jesus is asking us to do. When we talk about seeking first the kingdom, we're not talking about some kind of lifestyle we're supposed to chase after. This is not some lofty list of rules that we are intended to adhere to as believers. No, what we're saying is to seek first the kingdom is to pursue the person of Jesus and the rule of Jesus by consistently, continually, perpetually inquiring of the king and saying, I cannot lead my own life. You sit on the throne of my heart and whatever decision I make, whatever direction I'm supposed to go, I'm not taking a step or making a move until I inquire of the king first. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Which brings us now to that inconvenient question of our title. If seeking the kingdom first means that we inquire of him and we run to him before anything else, then perhaps it would be wise for us to ask ourselves this question at the beginning of the year, what do I do first? What am I seeking more than other things? If I were to survey the evidence of my life, what would it say I'm seeking more than other things? And to help us answer that question, I've created a little game. Uh, I am going to pose some random, not so random, very carefully, carefully studied scenarios. And as I pose these scenarios, I want you to ask yourself this question. What do I do first in this scenario? And please don't answer out loud. That will get awkward for everybody else in the room, all right? So, so just internalize these things. And what do I do first? Uh, let's start with an easy one. Uh, the alarm goes off. You wake up in the morning. What do you do first? Do you reach for your phone? You already broke the rule. Don't answer out loud. Do you reach for your phone and immediately seek out what people have posted on social media since you looked right before you went to bed? Do you open up the news app and seek out what's happened while you were sleeping? Do you seek out a response to that email you sent out that you were hoping somebody responded to while you were sleeping? Do you open up the stock market and see how your investments are doing? Or is there something inside of you that has said, I'm not gonna behold anything. Nothing is coming into these eyes or into these ears before I take a moment and I spend this first moment of the day with the king. I'm gonna get into his word, I'm gonna get into his presence and only after I have been with him will I allow anything else to come into my life. What do you do first? Or how about this? Um, it's the, the first Sunday the first Sunday of the year, the first day of the week, what do you do? 
So far, you're doing good. Here you are. Welcome. Good to to have you in church. Look around, see who's missing, then send them this clip. But what about next week? What about the following? What about daylight savings weekend? (laughs) What do you do with the first day of the week? Do you wake up and go, man, it's been a long week. Jesus can wait. (sighs) Do you open up the app and look for a new brunch spot on Yelp and invite the homies out to come join you? Pinkies out while you drink the little, uh, yeah, what, what do you do? Do you make all of these plans weekend after weekend after weekend in the name of chasing rest for your soul, hoping that the next trip, the next Tahoe ski, the next day at the beach will bring you what you feel you truly need? Do you say, it's football season. I throw on my Purdy jersey. I fire up the grill and I hang out at home because the homies are coming over later. I can't be bothered to go to the house of God. I gotta get this house ready. Or is there something inside of you that says, on the first day of the week, unless I am sick or on vacation, God's house is where I will be found. In his presence, among his people, there is something unique that happens in the gathering and I'm not going anywhere until I've been there first. What do you do first? How about this? You get paid. What do you do first? Do you jump on that shopping app and buy the thing that you've been waiting to buy until you had the money to buy it? Do you treat yourself? Get your Starbs? <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> Your DoorDash? I don't know. Like, I've been working so hard. I just need somebody to bring the food to my door, okay? I can't be bothered. Do you immediately pay all the bills because they're about to be late or they are late and you gotta hurry up and pay off the people that you didn't pay last month? Or is there something inside of you that says, I know where this money came from. It didn't come from my employer. It did not come from my ability. It came from my provider and his name is Jesus. So before I do anything else, I am giving him a 10th of of my resources because they were never mine to begin with, they were his. And I'm being obedient, trusting that I'm not gonna cut off the source that is blessing me with my resources. What do you do first? Shall I go on? Yes, thanks, okay. I was waiting for someone to give me permission. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about things you can't control. Your boyfriend breaks up with you. The one you thought was the one. What do you do first? Do you run to the store and get comfort food? Do you run to the cabinet to cope? Do you run to the dating apps and start swiping so that you can find someone that'll hang out with you that night to make you feel wanted because you feel rejected by the one that you loved? Or do you run to the arms of the only one who can bring comfort and speak identity over you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I created you perfectly. That joker's gone. I got somebody else for you. Don't trip. What do you do first? We're gonna talk about this one later on in the series and a whole week on it, but to borrow from the future, You get offended. Someone hurts you. Someone wounds you. They do something that that rubs you the wrong way. What do you do first? Do you delete, block? Do, do, Do you cut them off completely and say there's no hope for restoration? Do you call your friend and complain about that person? AKA gossip, that's what it's called. Do do you start ruminating and think of ways to get revenge on that individual? Or do you come to the one who has forgiven you of more than they will have ever offended you with 
and recognize, okay, they're broken, I'm broken, we're all broken. Jesus, help me to process this thing correctly. What do you do first? Crisis comes, diagnosis, you, you lose the job, you have a financial issue, what do you do? Do you run to the internet for solutions? Do you pull a Lewis Litt and run to the counselor? Do you, do, do you find some way to craft your own solution to the problem? Or is your first response, your knee-jerk reaction, your default rhythm to say, I'm not going anywhere but to the one whose ways are higher than my ways, whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm coming to the king that heals every disease, forgives every sin, has a solution to every problem. What do you do first? And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that any of the aforementioned things are bad. Well, some of them are bad, but... Don't cope, don't swipe, you know, do, 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 there's certain ones that are bad. But most of those things, they're not bad in and of themselves. Jesus is not asking you to bury your head in the, the sand and stay uninformed and just read your Bible and pray all the time without taking any personal responsibility for your life. That's not what I'm saying, that's not what Jesus is saying. Get the news, go to the brunch, do the practical things, see the counselor. If he dumped you, clean yourself up, honey. Get yourself back out there. Get a date, all right? These are not bad things unless they're what you run to first. What do you do first? Because, listen, this is gonna sting a little bit, but it's true. What you seek first reveals what you honor most. Let me say that again. What you seek first it's a clear indicator of that which you've elevated. You honor more than anything else in your life. And when Jesus becomes your last resort and not your first response, you prove by prioritization in your life that he is not sitting in the appropriate place of honor that he should be sitting in. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be accused of honoring everybody and everything else more than I honor Jesus. Leftovers make for a great meal, but they are a horrible offering to the king. And at the end of this year, I don't want to be a guy who just heated up my life and offered Jesus a bunch of leftovers while everybody else got the best of me. Everything else got the best of me. No, I want to give my king the first and the best of my attention and my focus and my life and my passion. I want to give the one who created me all that he deserves this year. And by nature of applause, I would assume that all of us probably want the same thing. So in our final moments, let's talk about how we do that. What does it look like to be a people that seek first the kingdom? I, I, think, I think it's a pretty practical thing. It could be all summed up in a simple phrase. I think if we want to seek him first, then all we need to do is respond to the invitation. Last scripture, and I'll invite the worship team to come with this as we prepare to close. But uh, these, these words are Robin's life verse. They are embossed in the leather on her Bible. They're the words of David, um, but I believe they are an invitation from the mouth of Jesus to the Father's house as we step into 2024. It says this in Psalm 27. My heart has heard you say, seek my face. And my heart responds, your face, Lord, I will seek. My heart has heard you say, I got the invitation. I hear what you're saying. And my response is I'm going to seek you. That's the invitation. 
to seek his face, to seek him more than ever before in 2024. And it rhymes, so you can't forget it. (laughs) To seek him more than you ever have, to ratchet up your passion and your pursuit of the king. And I think the response to this invitation is both incredibly practical and deeply spiritual. On On a practical level, seeking God might simply look like establishing or reestablishing some godly rhythms in your life. Rhythms that are not not rocket science. Pray, read the Bible daily, fast, worship, come to church on Sundays. These are simple things, but if we're gonna seek him first, they have to be hallmarks of our life, foundational things in our life. And as we conclude in just a couple moments, uh, Robin is gonna come and she will share how we as a community are practically equipping everybody here to do some of those things as we step into 2024. Uh, Specifically, she's gonna share some details around our corporate fast that we do every single January, where we take a week. In fact, this year we're calling it Seek Week in light of our, our theme. But we take a week and we push back the plate. We starve our flesh so that we can be led by our spirit and experience breakthrough. In fact, let me just rabbit trail on that for for a moment. I I think that for some of us, the breakthrough we're longing for this year is gonna be found in learning what it means to fast first. You're gonna deploy a weapon called fasting that's gonna bring you into spaces you've never been able to get to before with God because there's gonna be some things stripped away and prepared through fasting. I was reading um, through the book of uh, Esther a couple of weeks ago, and I've read this many times before, but it struck me in light of the new year that before Esther goes to the king, she tells her uncle Mordecai to call the people of God to fast so that she can petition the king, knowing that all the people have done the groundwork in the spirit. She understood that before she inquired of the king that the people needed to fast because it prepared her to have the conversation and it prepared the spirit in the spirit for the enemy to be destroyed. I believe that as we fast this year, there's gonna be some things that break off of our lives, some, ex, some freedom we're gonna experience, some breakthrough we're gonna experience like never before. So, so don't, don't go, fasting, that sounds horrible. I'm gonna eat instead, that's what I'm gonna do. Heck of food, just engage. I think God's got something for you in it. But beyond the practical, this is a deeply spiritual thing as well. And I think the deeply spiritual response we need to have to this invitation is to make a decision right here, right now, first Sunday of 2024, to say, I will be a person that doesn't do anything, doesn't make a move or a decision. I am not gonna attempt to lead my own life in 2024, but I am placing Jesus on the rightful throne of my heart, and I will be one who constantly inquires of the King before I do anything. I think we have to have that filter installed in our spirits today to go, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it happen on my own. I'm not gonna move forward on my own. I'm coming to the King and I'm gonna wait patiently at His feet until He tells me what to do next. And I know that is easy to say, it is really hard to live out. Lest I come across as a pontificating preacher that doesn't practice what he preaches, there's a lot of peace. Uh, let me, let me just say, as a guy who's been trying to embrace this for the last couple of weeks, thinking about this theme, it's a challenge. 
It's a challenge. Robin and I, even this last week, found ourselves facing an interesting financial situation where if something doesn't shift in the next 30 days or so, we're gonna have to make some decisions that might affect 20, 30 years down the road from now. And as a guy who, who likes to make things happen, if I could be honest, it's a counseling session for me. As a guy that like fixes stuff and tries to work a solution, is not really good at being patient or waiting, that fruit of the Spirit's a bit underdeveloped in my life sometimes, it is a challenge to just sit there and go, Jesus, I'm not doing anything. I'm seeking your face and I'm not making a move until you tell me. But I know that sitting in the space of discomfort provided by that is posturing me to receive a promise that Jesus makes available on the other side of my seeking. I know that in the midst of this, if I will seek first his face, if I will seek first his kingdom, that the promise on the other side is that he shall give me everything that I need, not just in this situation, but in this life. So I'm trusting in the other side of that promise. Even if that provision is me calling my mommy and daddy and asking for help, because that's what 40 year old men do sometimes, all right? Help! Just kidding, but seriously, like this, just be, be clear, this is gonna be uncomfortable. But if you will be willing to sit in the discomfort of what it looks like to seek the kingdom first, I believe we will pick up our heads at the end of this year and we will be able to say, God gave us everything every bit of clarity, every bit of resource, every bit of direction that we needed came as we sought first the kingdom. So let's get uncomfortable this year, shall we? <laughs> let's embrace some discomfort. Let's set our souls to seek first the king and his kingdom and know that on the other side of that, we're gonna get some stuff that he's been trying to release to us if we would just wait on him, amen? Let me pray as we conclude. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking this, this word to us today. Thank you for the invitation to seek your face. And Lord, I, I, uh, I pray right now over every person in this community, everyone who calls the Father's house home. I pray that these two words would not just be a, uh, em embroidered on a hat or a sweatshirt that we wear. They wouldn't be a song we write or a sign we print, but God, that they would be written on our hearts. May we be identified as a people that know what it looks like to seek the King and his kingdom first. God, I pray for anyone in the room today that finds themselves in a situation where decisions have to be made or things need to shift. I pray for that beautiful gift of waiting on the King. And as it said of Abraham in the book of Romans, I pray that faith would increase as they wait. That the waiting would not lead to disillusionment or abandoning, but God, the waiting would lead to a deeper faith in you, trusting the one who made the promise, trusting the one who spoke the word, trust, trusting the one who can give the direction. May our faith deepen this year like never before. And before we conclude, maybe as we uh, as we wrap up here, the Holy Spirit would be speaking to someone in the room and say, hey, the, the, the seeking of God's face that you need to engage in is to make a fresh commitment to Him. Not just to the practical things, not, not just reading the Bible and praying, but 
you know in your heart that you've been distant from God and you need to make a decision today that I'm entering back into relationship with the King. I'm making him Lord of my life again. And if that's you, what better way to start out the, the new year than to, to make a dedication to Jesus. I wanna invite you to pray a simple prayer with me and it, it, it'll walk you in posturing your heart to receive this salvation today. But as I say that prayer, if that's you today and you know you're far from God and you need to start this year off coming close to him, would you just lift your hand and look at me real quick and say, that's me, Tim. I'm coming home to Jesus today. Thank you, both of you guys right there. Yeah, I got you right there, sis. Yeah, right here, awesome. Yeah, right back there. Awesome, right here, bro. Yeah, cool. Got you back there, thank you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, church, we're saying it out loud with all these so they don't feel alone. Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to be your disciple, and to seek after you. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with every single one of those people coming to Christ today. Great way to start the year. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.